Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at a number of different passages, but that is the main one, the first one we look at. Uh, Most of them will be on the screen uh, in front of you. I was reminded after the sermon last week, I said that Jesus never offended anyone. That's not true. He never offended anyone in a sinful way. Without a doubt, when you deal with truth, you will offend lots of people lots of times. Because they don't want to hear it. On the other hand, what Jesus told was always the truth. And lots of people don't want to hear the truth. The concept this morning that we're going to deal with is the concept of confrontation or or confronting or reconciling. This is not a a little precise outline here. It is a number of different uh, principles put together in one sermon because they overlap. I will tell you, and a bunch of you are not going to believe what I'm going to say next, but I hate confrontation. I hate conflict. Do I have to deal with it? Yes. It's a part of being a pastor. It's part of being a Christian. It's part of helping other people because you have to confront things. But I have never been comfortable with it. I never like it. I don't want to do it. But guess what? I will do it. Why? Because I believe it is what God requires us to do if we care about people and we want the best for other people. If you're going around looking for conflict, if you're looking for confrontation, that's not what we're talking about. If you're looking for something to pick on, if you're looking for the next thing to shoot at uh, and, uh, you know, get in an argument with somebody, you're dead wrong. That is not this at all. Uh, that just makes you a troublemaker. <clears throat> that's not what we're looking for. Confrontation or confronting has to do with to face a challenge. There's a lot of directions this word goes, but it means that you you face a challenge. There's a conflict in your life, and you have to decide, am I going this way? Am I going to go this way? It it causes you to meet face-to-face and encounter a person or an issue or some other problem. I have to tell you, since the third uh, Sunday in January, when I preached the sermon on abortion, I did not know that within one week there would be states that are voting that if a baby is born alive as a result of abortion, that they could kill the baby after it was born. The born alive stuff. I didn't have a clue that that was going to happen. There are a lot of things that are happening. I just heard a presidential candidate last night on TV is saying, I'm in favor of legalizing prostitution. I mean, if you told me 32 years ago, I would be dealing with things that have to do with same-sex marriage or homosexuality whatever sort is okay and transgender is okay god didn't really create you who you really want to be if you would have asked me if they're going to start legalizing uh, or at least attempting to legalize mind-altering substances additional ones we already have some um, i would have said you're crazy that's not going to happen in my lifetime the spiral of things going downhill is faster than I ever imagined, and I have to tell you, within the last two months, I I got blindsided. I don't know about you, 
But I know, because somebody just wrote me an email last night and said, my friends are unfriending me on Facebook because I said that's not a biblical stand to take. It's people I've known ever since I've been grade school, and they're now separating themselves from me because they want to take a biblical stand. Folks, confrontation, while I don't like it, and I'm going to guess most of you don't either, if we don't confront the situations around us, we're in trouble. The church will totally lose its identity. We will no longer be salt and light. There is something. This is a sermon not only, and we're going to talk about personal things because that's what a lot of them talk about, but we need to confront the world around us. Not looking for a fight, but simply saying this is true. This is what God says. And yes, it will be the world. And and that doesn't surprise me. Their whole concept is not that there is a creator God who made us and creates the rules. But, you know, we kind of got here by evolution and we can decide what the rules are. And what is right and wrong and what is moral and ethical. But it will be those that might be sitting next to you in the pew. Might be somebody in your family, might be your Christian friends, might be your co-workers. And you know them, and you like them, and you want to have a good relationship with them, but you're going to have to stand up and take a, a, you're going to have to stand up and take a stand. That will be confrontation. Again, I, want to, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but you're not looking for a fight. But you must stand for truth and what is right. And we're going to talk about why you do that. A lot of people won't deal with this because they say, but I know what the Bible says. The Bible says, and I'm quoting from Luke again, from Luke chapter 6, verse 37, where it says, Judge not, and ye will not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgiven, you shall be forgiven. And they say, see, you're not supposed to judge anyone. If you are judging their motives, and you are putting them down, it fits. On the other hand, telling someone the truth, and confronting them with truth. It's not personal. You're not putting them down. You're there to do good for them. You're going to see what I mean by that as we get into this sermon. But just to finish this, is confrontation sometimes lands up with hostile and argumentative, argumentative intent. That is not where we're going, but it means you're going to face a problem or a difficult circumstance. And the hard ones to confront are the ones that are the closest to you. I never confronted my kids when we were raising them because I didn't like my kids. I didn't hate them. I didn't want something horrible for them. I did it because I knew the direction they were going was going to be detrimental to them and others. I knew that it was going to cause chaos and conflict additional. Um, And so my job as a parent was to say, hey, you're wrong. You know, you need to face this and this is not going to happen. There's confrontation. But it's not because I don't like someone or I'm looking for an argument. It is, number one, because you care. Now, I want you to follow along very closely as you look at this passage. You're in your Bible. It's also in front of you. 
I'll be looking at about a dozen different passages, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on any of them, but we're going to point out the specifics. It says, be on your guard. There is something to be alert. In fact, it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. It says, be alert. You need to know what's going on around you. There's nothing that irritates my wife worse than people who come to a political or some other opinion when they have not been informed. And that just, I I can tell you, that just irritates my wife to no end. It's like, no, you need to know what's going on. I will probably come back. I got a response from the petition that many of you signed, and um, it was a political one. It's like, well, marijuana legalizing isn't a good thing at this time. I'm going to tell you that said absolutely nothing. At this time, when you put that in there, it's like, well, maybe we'll, you know, we kind of agree with you now, but maybe we'll change our mind. I I read that last night when I went to the office. I'm like, you got to be kidding. But anyway, and that's somebody that actually was is against it, but they're still letting it there. It's like, I'm I'm like, did we confront that? I'm glad we did, but at the same time. It's a long haul. But it says, be on your guard. Be alert. If your brother sins, now notice, this is personal. Rebuke him. The word rebuke does mean exactly what we normally think. It means to warn somebody or to call them to account in some way or the other, to firmly say, hey, you're wrong. But the interesting part of this word is where it comes from. And if you're looking at the definition up there, it literally comes from a root that means to honor. The reason I'm saying that you confront someone because you care. Just like I said about children. You don't confront your children because you hate them or you don't like them. You confront them because you care. When you rebuke someone, they've done something obviously wrong. You're not judging them. They're just saying, hey, according to the Bible, according to any normal principle, what you did was out of order. You confront them. But you don't do it because you don't like them. You do it because you want good for them. You want to consider, you consider them as valuable. I'll tell you right now, if there was somebody that just didn't want anything to do with me, and I... I choose not to do this. I'm not saying I get it right all the time. But if there's somebody that I just kind of don't like, I'm probably not going to confront them. You know why? I'll admit, I don't care enough. That's horrible. But if I care about somebody, I want good for them. And that's what this whole thing is. It says, then if he repents, changes his mind, forgive him, dismiss it, cancel it, subtract it. Now, this is not the same passage we talked about last week, but it says, if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times. Now, notice, it's not 70 times seven here. It's getting down to brass tacks. This is in one day. Somebody does you wrong, you confront them, they come back, oh, I, I, I repent. I get, oh, by the way, all you mothers knew exactly what I was talking about. Because <laughs> that's what kids do. You go, do they ever get it? I told them a thousand times, you know, and they still did it. Well, guess what? It says they come back and they say, I was wrong, mom. Okay, it doesn't matter if it's your kids or your friends. Forgive him. And then, and this is the key to this whole thing, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Confrontation of whatever sort always 
needs to come from faith. The essence of living by faith is prayer. I am, if you confront someone without praying about it, without thinking it through, without going and studying the Bible, but particularly, Lord, what do you want me to do? I do this in counseling all the time. Somebody says a family member or someone else has a problem and they, they won't talk to me or those kinds of things. I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Do you, do you, do you love your, your, your sister, your brother, your parents, your you know, siblings, whatever it is? You know, do, do you love them? Well, here's what you need to do. You need to take the step to confront them and say, is there a problem? Do I need to change? Did I do you wrong? What, what is the issue? You need to take the lead. Why? Because you don't care? No, because you do care. We don't normally think of confrontation in that way. I believe it's the basis of all biblical conflicts. Not the only one, but it's the basis. And the second one is very much like it. We looked at this probably, I don't know, five months ago. I don't know how long ago it was. But we looked at this. So I'm not going to preach this passage. But I want to point out this point about the passage. Notice it says the Lord's bondservant. That's anyone that wants to serve the Lord voluntarily. Is not be quarrelsome, kind to all, beneficial to them, able to teach, give them instruction, correction, uh, patient when wrong, with gentleness, not using your power as a club to beat them. Gentleness is there like a gentleman. He could throw people around, but he doesn't. He helps them. That's the gentleness part. Correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance. Remember, even in confrontation of any sort, it is never your job to change their mind. It is your job, as we have talked about in this series, to give them good information and challenge and encourage them to put it into practice. The job of convicting people is not you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is to be the mouthpiece, and he takes what we do when it's true and uses it to bring that conviction to someone's life. And it says that, they may, that God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So they come and go, oh, yeah, that was right, or you're right, or this, what you said is correct. Uh, that they may come to their senses. Here's what I know. People that get off track don't usually just make one choice and say, I'm going to do something bad. It is a process. We say falling into sin. Most of us don't fall into sin. We think our way into sin one step at a time. That's normally what we do. And then we go, how did I get here? One of the things that um, I may have used this uh, illustration in the past, but years and years ago, one thing, and I'll come back to this uh, again, but years and years ago, it didn't ha- hasn't ever happened very often, but there was a person that was a member of Garden Chapel and would not uh, deal with a very overt and known sin, and uh, they just wouldn't do anything. And eventually, I have stood up here. I don't want to do it very often, but I'll do it if I have to. And I just said, this person has uh, is living in unrepentant sin. They will not even talk to us, uh, and we have to remove them from membership. Uh, my mouth was so dry, I couldn't, I couldn't have spit if I had to. I think my spit was powdered at that point. You know what? I didn't like it at all. Five years later, 
I got a phone call, just totally out of the blue. And this person said to me, Pastor Paul, where did I go wrong? And so I had a very good conversation with that person. But it was five years later. I didn't like what happened. But you know what? She had allowed thing after thing after thing to get her to the point where she just said, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. When you confront someone, it brings them back to their senses. might take a while, but guess what? That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And it says that they may escape from the snare of the devil. That's the trap. Satan is an opportunist. He will take advantage of us. Having been held captive by him, and then it says to do his will. When you look it up, you'll find out that the best translation of that last couple of words there is then you can go back to doing God's will. Satan traps us, holds us. But when we repent, when we come to repentance, we change our mind, then we can go back to doing God's will. Remember, the end result of our interaction with people, call it counseling, call it whatever you want, is that not that the person knows they're wrong, or they know you're right, or you've confronted them. The end result is always we want someone to be in a better relationship with Christ, if they're not a Christian, that they would come to Christ. But a lot of times the people we confront are going to be other fellow believers that they would in the end be more mature, more complete, a more perfect Christian. Why? Because they put into practice what Christ has made available for them. That is the end result. A mature, growing, loving, faithful, loyal Christian. That's the end result. It is never punitive. It's never just to put someone down. It is to build them up in the right direction so that they would be a stronger, more mature Christian. Now, one of the things that always is true, and um, people have come to me so many times as a pastor and said, so-and-so is doing this. You need to talk to them. The elders, we ought to tell the elders about this or whatever. I have a, it doesn't matter who it is, I have an answer for that. You can always come and talk to me. I will tell you, I'm not going to do it for you. If you come to me and say, somebody else at church, I'm not making, saying names, but this has happened more than once, is somebody else is doing this wrong thing or they're doing this. And I look at them and say, okay. So, and, and they want me to do something about it. I'm like, have you talked to them about it? Have you confronted them? No. Okay, here's how you confront somebody. I go over a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. And then, if that doesn't work, come back. But until you talk to them, until you do what God requires of you, I'm not going anywhere with this. I'll instruct you. I'll, I'll try to help you to, to do it. But I'm not going to do it for you. Because why? Because confrontation always takes place at the lowest possible level. That's where it starts. What does it say here? This is talking ultimately about church discipline. But it can, uh, the principles are true across the board. If your brother sins, notice it's somebody you know, somebody you care about, somebody you want the best for. Go and reprove them in private. Go to them and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, uh, I saw this. I have questions about that. I think you're off base here. You're sin. You offended me or you did something that's out of order. You go. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Isn't that neat? 
The end result is you won your brother. They actually are thankful to you. You've won them. I've had people say, I'm glad you confronted me with this because I couldn't stand myself anymore. I needed somebody to yank me up short and let me know that I was wrong. Doesn't sound like normal things, but the truth is when you're living in sin, uh, you become a very anxious kind of person. You get paranoid and a whole lot of other things. So usually that's all the further it needs to go. You just confront someone and they go, oh, yeah, I was wrong. Okay, you won your brother. If it won't listen, you take one or two more witnesses with you. One or two more with you. The quote from the Old Testament is talking about capital punishment. So if you wonder if uh, Matthew is taking this seriously, the answer is absolutely. He goes back to the Old Testament and says, No one shall be executed on the basis of the mouth of, of uh one witness, but you need to take two or three witnesses that every fact may be confirmed. Point here is this. You're not calling your best friend and saying, so-and-so is living in sin and I talk to them and they won't listen to me, so I want you to back me up. That is not what this says at all. A witness is a first-hand person, a person who has first-hand information. This is not your friend. Or this is not someone else who doesn't know what's going on. Somebody that will back you up. and No, it's somebody else that has witnessed, seen, knows what is going on. That's the second step. If you want to listen to them, now you've got witnesses. People, two, three, four, you know, saying, hey, listen, we saw you do this. We heard you do this. We see you're involved here, whatever it is. You deal with it. If they won't listen, it says you tell it to the church. Now, I've literally had people say, well, we've talked to this person, and I'm going to stand up in church, and I'm going to tell everybody what they're doing. Look at what it says here, because I propose to you, a lot of people say there's only three steps here. It actually is four steps, and I'll, I'll take you through the last two. That's, we already looked at the first two. It says you tell it to the church. Does it say the elders? It does not say that. Does it say the pastor? It doesn't say that. It simply says you tell it to the church. I don't believe it's public. Why? Because the fourth step is the one that's public, and there is if they refuse and even listen to the church. The elders, the spiritual leaders of the church, they do represent the church. Has it happened? The answer is yes, it has. I've gotten called before the elders. That is not fun, let me tell you. It worked out okay, but I'm just telling you, I got called before the elders. They have every right to do that because it had been dealt with and it didn't work out. Point is, if they refuse to listen to the leaders of the church, it says then and only then, and I used the illustration already, that let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. If you want to know how that looks, the Apostle Paul actually wrote about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, you know what? If this person is not willing to repent, you need to remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Don't have anything to do with them. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, when that person had repented, I used this, uh, this passage before, is when they had repented, don't refuse to welcome them back. Remember, it's always toward restoration. It's always because you care and want the best for the other person. It is never, I want to put that person down, I want to stomp them down, and I want to make them look bad. No, the end result of 
any kind of confrontation, doesn't matter what it is, is always for the good of that person. And it's always going to require you to do it by faith because it is not easy because you can get blasted when you do these things and I'll vouch for you, vouch to you that you can get blasted when you confront people Um, and you can get called all kinds of bad stuff. How do I know that? I just know that because it's happened. Okay, but notice what it says. This This is serious business. Let him be as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Matthew was writing to Jews. A Gentile was considered unclean, like a dog, like an unclean animal. I want nothing to do with it. And a tax gatherer, they literally despise those guys. Remember Zacchaeus. (laughs) You know, they despise them. They they were Jewish. They worked for the Roman government, and they were rip-offs. He says, you know what? Nobody wants anything to do with a guy like that. So he's saying, you know what? There is a place where you get to that. Is that the goal? No. The goal is restoration. We'll see that in a few moments here. It is also to avoid division. Sometimes you see something going on. You know something's going on. You have a responsibility to deal with it because you realize that if that person goes unchecked, they're going to do things that are going to drive a wedge in a family, in a workplace, in a church. It doesn't matter where it is. They will drive a wedge. That's called a factious man. It says there... but. Shun foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law, about, you know, legalistic type things, for they are unprofitable and worthless. He's saying, don't deal with those things that just have no value whatsoever. Reject the factious man, and, and when do you reject? After a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. You can see the end result. This person is, exactly the opposite of what I said, is the reason for confronting someone, is they're simply driving wedges. They're not having an attitude that we want this to go forward, and we care, and we want good for other people. We want to help them. It's totally the opposite. He said, somebody that's going around as a troublemaker, driving wedges, a factious man, dividing into schisms is uh, somebody that is to be rejected. The next thing is, it's for maintaining a relationship. Now, I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to do this quickly, because we're going to look at reconciled two times here. The first one here is the one that's also used of the theology. Remember, in this case, when it's theology, we are reconciled to God. God is never reconciled to us. It's Why? Because he has nothing to change. We are the ones that have to change going from being an enemy to being friendly. God never has to do that. That's this word, and it's used here, and this is not a sermon about marriage and those kinds of things. It's just looking at a principle because it says to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Notice, it is the wife in this case that said, I'm leaving my husband. I'm gone. He says, well, if that's the case, and you do that, you remain single and celibate, unmarried, or be reconciled. See, she was the one that decided to leave. She has to make the change and come back. 
So, there is the place where this whole idea of confronting an issue is, I might have to go, whoa, I was wrong. I need to be reconciled. And that's reconciliation. It would work the other way around too. But only one is changing here. The word that we saw a few weeks ago is the one where two people reconcile. The way the word is, it's a different word, but the way it is, it has to do with two in Greek. And it's simply, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there, remember, your brother has something against you, you have offended them. You've done them wrong in some way or the other. Uh, You sinned against them. It doesn't say why. It just says you've offended them. Leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. He says, in that case, it goes both directions. I don't know what happened. It doesn't tell us exactly what happened. All I know is the context says that this person is possibly taking you to court. You need to deal with it at the lowest level, and there needs to be a reconciliation. I don't know what happened. Let's face it. Most problems between people, someone may have started it, but the other person probably aggravated it. You ever notice that? Even though somebody did you wrong, you have the real tendency to then respond wrong. I'll put my hand up because that's what we do, right? Somebody did me wrong. They said something that looked at me wrong, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what it is. And then I turn around and I have a lousy attitude and I do something wrong. And then it's a mess. Most situations require two people to get back together. The context of this is, hey, if you're going to court, somebody's taking you to court. Get, get right with your brother. Go get it dealt with before you go to court. I tell people in my office all the time, they want to sue somebody. They want to do some legal action. I'm like, I'm not telling you that you can't do that because the law is there for a reason. On the other hand, if you don't deal with it at the lowest level between two people, you become, once, you, once you're in the hands of the law, you are one little tooth on a very big gear in a huge machine. And you know what? It doesn't care about relationship. It doesn't care about anything. It just cares, what does the law say? What, does, what is the penalty? What, what should happen? You don't want to go there if you don't have to. There's a place for it, but don't go there unless you have to. Reconciliation all has to do with this confrontation. The last point this morning, and I'm going to, I have three passages, I'm going to hit them uh, because we'll come back and, and see them again. But in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and following, it simply says, Brother, and if anyone is caught in a, a trespass, you who are spiritual, notice, you better be praying. You better be in right relationship with God if you're going to try to restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Notice the word restore, a complete mending of the situation. That's what the word means. Uh, You need such a spirit of gentleness, but each of you looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. He says, just be careful. When When you start pointing out somebody else's problems and try to help them, Make sure you don't get drugged down by their problems. It happens all the time. You say, and, and it all starts out good, 
But eventually the person says something that is like, get off, you know, get your nose out of my business, you know, uh, who do you think you are? And, and then you get the bad attitude. He says, be careful. You better be in a right spiritual condition. You better be, as the apostles, Lord, increase our faith. Second one. This one here has happened, I think, five or six times since I'm a pastor here, where someone has come to me and said, could the elders come and anoint me with oil and and pray with us? And we've done that. Two of those people very shortly thereafter died. So God healed them totally. They were all believers. Some of you got that one. But the other ones... God did stuff that I had no idea. I go in there, and, and I'm, I usually end up being the spokesman. I'm like, I'm going to tell you right now, we are not doctors, and we did not come here to practice medicine. So understand that. But we are here because we care about you. That's the anointing with oil. We're here. We fellowship. We want you to know that we're here with you. And then the next thing I ask is, do you know if there's any sin in your life that you're aware of? Because if it is... We need to deal with that. Yeah, that's confrontation. It's like it requires and indicates that we deal with it the way God says we should deal with it. And he is the one that can and many times does give a recovery. It talks about praying. It talks about uh, anointing them. And it says that the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. We have a responsibility. The person has asked us, by the way, we don't go and we don't have healing or anointing services because it's very clear if, if that's the case, you need to, talk, you need to ask for it. That's, I'm, I'm not preaching a sermon on that. I've done that in the past. But it's God doing the work. Why? Because I believe the biggest part of it is, is that that person, when you're sick, when you're out of sorts or whatever, you kind of feel like nobody cares. The elders show up, and they're there. They're talking to you. They're asking you questions. They're fellowshipping with you and anointing you with you. They're saying, we care. We're here uh, to work with you. And, yeah, if there's sins, they need to be dealt with. Um, and then one last one is, it says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. That's our normal mode of acting. Our job is to turn around and build up someone. Remember what I said about counseling? It is giving them truth and encouraging and challenging them to put it into practice. That fits with this also. Just as you are also doing. He's, he's saying to the Thessalonian church, you're already doing these things. That is really good. You are encouraging and building each, each other up. <clears throat> and, and there, I skipped some, some there, and we urge you, brethren, admonish place into their mind. That's the whole concept we started with months and months ago. Is Counseling is I put into people's minds. I challenge them. I give them truth. I encourage them. And I'm going to admonish the unruly. Somebody that's out of order. I admonish them. I go to them and say, hey, this isn't right. I encourage the faint-hearted. Every time we meet and in between, there are people that are faint-hearted. simply means they're really not dealing with life too well. And help the weak. Now, the last part I put in red is that's the one I want to emphasize. Be patient with all men. This is never done harshly. Remember, it's in gentleness. 
It is never done to tear them down. It is to build them up. It is always to encourage them and a challenge, and that is always a challenge. Even though it's rebuke, it's because I care. But I want the good for that person. So before you ever confront someone, make sure that your attitude is totally right, is that you want good for that person. It's not they did me wrong, or they did somebody else, they did my friend wrong, and I am going to let, give them a piece of my mind. That is totally wrong. It is always that I'm going to be patient because I want to encourage uh, the uh, faint-hearted and I want to admonish. I want that person who's unruly. I want them to come back into order. I want their life to be what God wants it to be. If you have any other attitude other than that, you've approached it with the wrong attitude. Just to discipline them, just to stomp them down, wrong way to do it. I want them to be built up. I want a good result. I want that person to be mature in Christ as an end result of this. Does it always happen? No. I'll tell you, it doesn't always happen. But that's the goal that we have. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much. These things are not easy. In fact, is uh, I had really identified with the apostles. Lord, increase our faith. Even saying these things is hard because it's just not easy to put this into practice. But I know it's something that you have designed that we should do. That we hold each other accountable. And that we want to help others. Sometimes that's just by giving them good information and challenge to put it into practice. But sometimes it's that counseling confrontation kind of thing where we need to point out what's wrong and then give them the good information, the encouragement, the prayer that it takes so they would come to their senses and escape from that snare that Satan has laid for them. Lord, I pray that we would be those who really do care and really want to help others. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.